Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. I think I'll just jump right back in. I'm, I'm not so good with small talk, so I'll just start all right away with, <laughs> with the sermon. I thought maybe I should say something about the rugby that the South Africans has won yesterday, but I thought I'll... I'll just be quiet because there's some English in here. Um, Yeah, so we've been busy with the uh, book of James. For those of you who've been, uh, we've been going through a series in the preachings and also in the connect groups. So I'll be continuing on that today. And this is the last, I'll basically end off this series. And um, we've been been looking at James and seeing in this, uh, while we're going through this series, that this book that he has written, or this letter, he, um, he has written it to the first Christians that were actually there. And now James, he was the brother of Jesus, and he was, when he wrote this letter, he was actually the church leader of Jerusalem. So this is now after Peter has left and moved on, uh, James took over, and he was basically the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And... Um, now, just uh, some, it's always good to know a person's background to understand why they say certain things. Because what has happened in your past, it obviously influences how you view things and why you would say certain things. Now, um, James, he, he basically uh, writes this letter uh, to the early church that um, where if you compare his letters, we've We've compared his letters with Paul's letters. Paul's letters are more in uh, instructions into correction of actions. And, but James, he focuses more on um, telling these new Christians how to live a life that pleases God. So this is basically what, if I have to summarize this whole book, this is, um, it teaches how to live a wholehearted life to God. That is what this book is about. And, um, yes, so, but you also have to remember, up until this point, these people that he's writing to, they, they were Jewish people that got saved. So they were Jewish Christians. So they've had, up until this point in their life, they've had the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible, and then the laws. But now Jesus, he came to fulfill the laws, so they're like, okay, so but how, how do we live a godly life? Because we don't fall under the law anymore. God, Jesus came to free us from the law. So they were wondering, how do they live? And that is why James write, wrote this letter to tell the new Christians, okay, this is how you live a life that is pleasing to God. So you can actually see that this letter, we can actually say this letter or this book, it is a letter to C3 Malmo today, telling us how to live wholeheartedly for God. So that's what I'll be speaking on today. And um, I'll be focusing on James 3, 13, all the way through to James 14. Uh, And um, as I was preparing for this, I went home early one day from work to take a few, just take a while before I get the kids, just to sit in God's presence and just to start preparing and hear what he wants to say to me. 
And I already had an idea of what I was, I, I kind of already started with preparing for the preaching. But I, I stopped in front of the house, and I never actually made it out of the car. I never opened the car door. Because God spoke to me, and I just sat there sobbing in the car. I don't know, I, I don't know if you saw me here. If God speaks, if I hear, feel God's spirit, I just start crying. And he spoke to me. Um, yeah, so I really believe I, he has given me a word to give you today from his heart. Because I was not planning on giving this uh, sermon. Uh, so this is, I really believe it's from him. I was not planning on doing it in the way I, I'm doing it now. But uh, let's start in James uh, uh, 3.13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Now, we all would like to be wise, and that's a quality we'd all like to have, right? And here it's, uh, James puts wisdom and understanding together in one. But if we just look at wisdom, wisdom is moral insight and what is right and wrong and issues of life, where understanding is more like, um, like intellectual, intellectual perceptions that you have. So knowledge and wisdom is actually not exactly the same thing. A knowledgeable person, for example, um, is not necessarily wise, but a wise person can be knowledgeable. So it's not the same thing. But how do we get this kind of wisdom? And it, it is also the answer is given to us there in James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So all you basically have to do is ask God for it. So you, it's actually one prayer that you're guaranteed to have an answer is if you ask for wisdom. And... Uh, I know that God has given me the gift of this. One of the gifts he's given uh, me is the gift of discernment. Uh, he's given us all gifts. And, um, and how I know this is because over the years, I, I always wondered why do people make certain decisions? I'm like, it wasn't, um, I'm like, I don't really understand why they make those decisions. Can't they see what's going to happen? And then I realized over the years, they don't actually see what I see. So um, then I realized, oh, okay, God has given me this discernment. But the thing for me is, what, what do I do with this discernment? I see it, but, I mean, I don't know what to do with what I see. So I ask God to give me wisdom to know what to do. And I, I believe he has given me wisdom. I know that some people might disagree, and I don't always act uh, you wouldn't always say that I'm that wise if you look at some, um, some things and silly things I get up to, especially Matthew's just sometimes rolls his eyes and think, oh, this woman, how did she get her genetics degree? But um, there, there are moments where I stun myself with the words that come out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, wow, that is, that is really wise. And then I know that it's not me, that is God actually speaking through me. So, and... and Wisdom is not just what you say, it is how you live as well. So it's your life needs to protect, um, show that wisdom. And so if God is in your life, it should be evident. 
If you're, if you're wise, it should be evident in your life. People should be able to see it in the outcome of your decisions. Now, just an example I could use is um, if you compare Matthew and his brother now. Now, a few years ago, we've been praying for his brother um, to get saved, and his brother got saved, gave his heart to Jesus. But um, if you compare their lives now after a few years getting saved, his brother's life is, there's so much chaos in his life. So many problems, and I believe it's because he's not made God Lord of his whole life yet. He hasn't submitted everything to God yet. I mean, none of us are perfect. Uh, no one has it all sorted out, and we all, it's, it, you work out your salvation. It's a journey. But you need to, there's certain decisions that you need to make. You need to decide who are you going to follow. Who is going to be your Lord? Who's going to lead you to make the right decisions? In Proverbs 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And actually, well, I've now, they've taken off some of the scriptures because apparently I had too many scriptures. But there are 27 times in the Bible, and I had three others that were supposed to be up there. I don't know if they are. No, they're not. Okay. But anyway, uh, 27 times in the Bible. God says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those, that exact phrase. Now, what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? I mean, it's, what does it mean to fear God? In Proverbs uh, 28, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So this verse tells me, actually, that... Um, if you fear the Lord, you will have a humble and contrite heart. You will have a heart of sensitivity and humility. So that is in contrast, that heart um, of humility is in contrast with a proud um, and hardened heart. So that brings us to, me to our hearts. Our hearts are really important, and that's actually what I want to focus on today is our hearts. It's all about our hearts. I just want to, uh, just one little thing about the fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord is not being terrified of God. It's not, I mean, you should, you should respect God and approach him with um, honor, but it's not being afraid of God. So that's not what it means here. It's having a reference to God, a holy reference. A good example is David in the Bible to me. God says that um, he's a man after mine, my own heart. And I believe it's because further on God says, um, David, he will do whatever I tell him to do. David followed God wholeheartedly. Now, if we go back to the book of James, we read further there. Uh, in James 3. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with truth, with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness, they are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
Wherever, uh, wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find every disorder, evil of every kind. But the wisdom uh, from above is first of all pure, and then it continues there telling us what is the wisdom from above. And there is so much in this scripture that I could focus on, and so many things. We can do a whole preaching just about that. But I just want to, there's just one thing that I want to talk about today. It's that way it says, for jealousy and selfishness is not God's kind of wisdom. Now, I don't know if it's, I, I made it in red. I don't know if it, no, it's not like that. Okay. Um, but jealousy and selfishness, I almost want to liken it to adultery. Um, and the reason why I say that, I mean, if you have jealousy and selfishness, it's, it's all about yourself. Um, you have selfish ambitions. And why I say that, if you, if you hang in there with me, let's read a little bit further in James. We, we read the next verses. Uh, Matthew preached on this first verse last week. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you might spend what you get on your pleasure. So it's all about you. It's very selfish. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enemies against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy with God. So here James says it directly, you adulterous people. And just a little note, up until this point in his letter, he has addressed um, the people as dear brothers and sisters. And now all of a sudden he says, you adulterous people. So he wants to, I think, he wants to get the people's attention. This is now really important. I want your attention. You adulterous people. And also the other thing about that adulterous people, that word, um, in order for you to commit adultery, you need to be married to a person. So he likens their relationship with God to that of a marriage situation. So it's a, it's a very intimate, it's a very, very intimate relationship that God has with them. And because God is a jealous God, he wants our whole hearts. He doesn't want us to share it with someone else because he knows that will only cause us pain. And he loves us so dearly. And maybe you're still not convinced. You think, oh, you know, it is maybe not such a bad sin. There's worse things that you could do. You could murder someone or you could, you know, maybe you can argue that. So if you're still not convinced, just let's go a little bit further then. The first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And when I used to read this, I think, you know, the first two commandments, I kind of, I don't think it is applicable to me or to us these days anymore. Who in Sweden carves out an image, makes a golden statue, and bows down before it and worships it? No one that I know about worship any statues. That would be a very silly thing to do, in my, in my opinion. 
I don't know, I don't think anyone in this modern day does that. But actually, an idol, it, it can be anything. It's not to say it's a statue. Um, anything can be your God. You, I, I mean, I myself can become a God. If that thing that takes God's place in your life, that can become a God. So if you put something other than God first in your life, that is a God. Now, at a time when I, when I just got married to Matthew, I had to check my heart regularly that I don't make him my God. Because, um, you know, placing, placing certain expectations on him, what I had, how marriage should have been, you know, like... Uh, I had this, you know, before you get married, you had this wonderful picture about marriage and how it would be every night you're going to dance on the porch. We've not danced one night. Uh, We've been married 12 years. And it's not Matthew's fault. It's because I cannot dance. So (laughs) it's not his fault. But you have all these romantic ideas of what marriage is about. And you, you put these expectations on your husband. Because you think, oh, they're going to be so perfect. And it, does, it turns out that no man is perfect. Hmm? All, all, all women in this place know that. And, um, but I just want to say, although Matthew is not perfect, he is actually an extremely good husband. So it's, um, he's an amazing man, but he, he's not my God. And um, so at least now I've, I've overcome that part. I don't have to work on that anymore. But now my children... Your children can become your God. Now, children, children it, God, it even says it in the Bible. Children is a blessing from the Lord. So children, they are a blessing. They're absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful to have children. Um, so that's not a bad thing. But if, if your children becomes, it takes God's place in your life, that becomes an idol. And that is actually not very healthy. It's not for you or your child. Because for your children, you're going to put unrealistic expectations on them. Expecting them to be this perfect child. Or, you know, you're going to spoil them so much that they're going to not be very nice people for the rest of the society. Um, And even for yourself as well. I mean, if, if you expect your children to to be so perfect, you're going to be disappointed one day because they, they're not going to necessarily turn out like you have imagined it to be. So, so it's easy to, to make um, things that are actually good things, you can make them idols in your life. And I, I know how easily it is um, just to lose a child and, and the hurt and the pain that comes with that. And if you have made your children your idol... You, you will not survive that. I, actually, I don't think you will survive it anyway, unless God helps you. But anything that takes God's place in your life, that's an idol. And I have to regularly, that's, I think that's maybe why I have to regularly check, where's my heart, uh, that my children do not become my idols, that my heart belongs completely to God. And, and it can be that you yourself is an idol if you are... Um, feel sorry for yourself a lot, like, oh, I'm, you're always the victim in the situation, you can actually be an idol because it's all about yourself. Or you might have something else that's an idol in your life um, that takes number place or number one place in your life. And I think that's a struggle we all are, 
we all have, all of us as Christians, uh, need to choose daily who's going to be first in our lives. It's, a, it's, a thing we, uh, it's something we need to do. It's a decision we need to make to keep him first in our lives. And we have so many just distractions, you know, distracting us of spending time with God and, and even thinking about God, having a thought of him during our day. We are so busy. But let's just go back to the Ten Commandments now. God opens up those Ten Commandments with these words. I am the Lord, your God. See how personal that is? I am the Lord, your God. So he reveals who he is in this before he starts telling you, uh, giving you the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. I saved you. So Jesus, God saved you out of slavery. He loves you. And that is why he's so jealous for your love. And God reveals who he is and what he has done for us. And then he also reveals uh, what it means for, for him to be our God but what it means for us also to be his children. So it's out of this perception that we need to understand the Ten Commandments, actually. It's not just an external obedience. You just do what, you know, what's written there. You actually, it's an obedience of the heart. And this is, so when Justin mentioned uh, in his, when he started with the service leading about the Ten Commandments and about, I'm like, okay. And there were so many confirmations. I actually, I was a little bit um, stressed before I came up because it's a difficult word to bring. Um, and there's just been so many confirmations God has given me that this is definitely the word that I need to bring today. Uh, the song, uh, the last song that uh, we worshipped. Uh, normally when I preach, or in many times when I've preached, the, um, God gives me a song with the preaching, and this was the song that he's given me. So it was just like, oh, wow, God, you are just, you are just amazing. Um, but anyway, that's just maybe just on its side. Uh, there's another story I want to, in the Bible, uh, that maybe also shows um, about adultery and where your heart should be. It's in 2 Kings 17. Now, just some background to the story is that um, th- these are the Jews in Samaria, and they were out, uh, taken out in exile, and there were some other people that moved into that area. But there were a lot of plagues and things happening to them because they did not live according to God's laws. They didn't know the laws. They didn't know God. And then the people realized, okay, but it's because of these people's God, that we actually have all these things happening to us. We need to get a priest in here, and some of the people need to come back to come and teach us how to live a godly life that pleases God. So that's what they did, and this is where this piece of scripture fits in now. You must worship only the Lord your God. He is the one who will rescue you from all your enemies. But the people... They would not listen and continued to follow their former practices. So while these new residents worship the Lord, they also worship their idols. 
So to this day, the descendants do the same. But the thing here that I want to show you is that these people, they, they worshipped the Lord. And they also worshipped their idols. So that tells me that we can come to church, we can sit here, we can worship God, but we can also still have idols in our life. We can worship other things. So that's why God calls us to wholehearted um, like devotion to him. So you can't say, um, serve God and something else as well. It also says here, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And this, this is repeated more than 10 times in the Bible. So it is obviously very important when God can, it repeats things so many times. But often, the, the necessary in our lives crowd out God. All the things that uh, we have lined up, things that we have to do. They crowd out our time with God. But the funny thing is God says that seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek God first, he will give you all the other things that we are chasing after that's taking up time with him. But we, we want only what is our own gain. We want to further ourselves. And, I mean, God also wants us to, to go ahead in life. It's not that he does not want us to go ahead in life. He wants to further us. But he's more, to him, it's more important, where is your heart? It's more about the heart and your motives and how you get there that is important. The condition of our hearts. In Proverbs, it says, above all else, Guard your hearts, for everything you do flow from it. So here again, our hearts are extremely important because everything we do comes from our hearts. And we have a tendency, or I at least have a tendency to try and monitor my behavior. Instead, I should have monitored and, and changed my heart because that is where it all comes from, is my heart. It seeps into every conversation we have. Every decision you make is the condition of your heart. But now the thing is, how do we, how do we, this is not all very good. We all understand now how important it is for our hearts to be all God's, to have nothing else. But how do we practically, how do we practically actually do this? If we continue reading further there in James, humble yourselves before the God, uh, Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears uh, for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and joy. Humble yourselves um, before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So humbling ourselves before the Lord, submitting ourselves before him. Or you can actually say drawing near to God. Draw near to God. 
and, and I, I didn't mention earlier, but in Judaism, the heart, when they speak about the heart and um, mention that, it actually means the person's whole being. So it's not just your heart and your emotions. It's everything about you. It's your faith, your mind, um, your emotions. Everything about you is the heart. And that is why the heart is so important. And, and I think the, um, the one thing in our hearts, well, that I struggle with at least, I think many people, is or that Satan attacks is guilt. He makes us feel guilty about things. Uh, and that influences how, how we respond to God, actually. We strive and we try and fix everything ourselves instead of just taking it to God and let him do the work in us. But how do we cancel this so now we feel guilty? And, but Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus has already taken care of that. How do we get rid of this guilt? In 1 John 8, if you claim to yourself you have no sin, you are fooling yourself um, and not living in the truth. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all wickedness. If you claim that you have no sin, you are calling God a liar and showing that there is that he, he's, um, he has no place in your heart. So if he has a place in your heart, you will humble yourself and we will um, confess our sins and he will take it away. So you can just lay it, all your concerns, everything that you're worried about, just lay it at his feet. He can take care of it. Your marriage, your children, your finances, whatever you're worried about, lay it at his feet. And now, you know, the, this unwavering faithfulness is what God requires. If you read this law and, this, and everything that I've spoken about today, it, I mean, it might seem a little bit scary and like, it's, I mean, it's a bit too much, actually. But that is why James ends off his letter here, or this piece. He says that God is actually a God full of grace. He reminds us. That God is a God of grace. He's a God of love and mercy. Can the band please come up for me? Now, Jesus, he went ahead of us to the cross. He, he actually, Jesus showed us what it meant to live a life that had no other gods. He was wholeheartedly committed to God. He loved God with his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole soul, everything about him. He loved God. He was the perfect example of what it is to live wholeheartedly for God. And so we have to daily actually remind ourselves about this. We need to daily remind ourselves of how much God loves us and um, daily make a choice actually to follow God. And to decide that he's going to be Lord of our lives. He's going to be king of our lives. There's no shadow that he won't light up. Mountain that he won't climb up to come after me. There's no wall that he won't kick down. A lie that he won't tear down to come after me. He is such an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that he has for me. It's a holy love. It's a jealous love. And he demands our whole hearts. 
So I want to ask you to surrender your whole life and your whole heart to him today. Let him light up every shadow in your heart. Let him heal every hurt and take care of every lie. And as we go into worship now, I want you to worship him like it's only the two of you in this room. I want you to put your focus on him. And and I want you not just to, to sing a nice song here and let him touch you and then you go away again. I want you to, to let this be the start of a new, fiercely passionate, a passionate relationship with him. Let him be your only God. Let's worship.